You remember how a Houstonian lost his car about a year ago. Uh, Mr. Maida pulled up to a building on Texas Avenue, and there was a guy standing at the valet podium, and uh, Maida handed him his keys to his uh, Toyota Camry, and the valet handed him a ticket. When Maida returned later, he gave the ticket to the valet at the podium, and no car was found. It turned out that the uh, valet who gave Maida the ticket was not a valet, he was a car thief. When the uh, real valet went to the restroom, the thief saw his chance to grab a car. He was a a fake. Uh, Maida says he plans to self-park from now on. We're looking at some incredible claims of Jesus, and they are so astonishing that you're left with a predicament. Is he a fake? Is he a phony with evil intent? Or is he who he claims to be? As C.S. Lewis famously put it, your choices for Jesus are liar, lunatic, or Lord. Or I use the words deceiver, delusional, or deity. Uh, Jesus' claims are so shocking that he's either a phony who made it all up, or he's mentally ill, unstable, or he is exactly who he claims to be, God in the flesh. There are people who say Jesus never claimed to be God. Uh, Those people would be wrong. He does so repeatedly. And one of the ways he does that is with those two words, ego and me, I am. So, for example, he says in John chapter 8, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Uh, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am. Before Abraham was born, I am. And hearing these words, Uh, People picked up stones to try and murder Jesus. What made them want Jesus dead? Uh, Well, centuries before, God had revealed uh, to Moses uh, who he was. Uh, And uh, Moses says, well, what is your name? And God says, I am who I am. And so when Jesus referred to himself as the I am, he was claiming to be God. That was blasphemy. Now, in this series, we're looking at seven I am statements that Jesus made about himself in John's gospel. And uh, do you want to know who Jesus is? Learn the I am's. Do you want to become more like Jesus? Live the I am's. We began last week with uh, Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. Today, we're in John chapter 8, where in verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Now, in order for us to have a better appreciation for the statement that Jesus makes here, I need to set the scene for you. Starting in the previous chapter in John, Jesus has been celebrating at one of the great feasts of Israel. Uh, This was the Feast of Booths, or Tabernacles. Of all the feasts, this was probably the most dramatic, uh, the, the most gigantic of the feasts. I don't have time to describe everything that's involved there, but if you were a good Jewish person, you would have been there for the week of that feast, uh, that celebration. If you didn't live in Jerusalem, you would have traveled to get there. And uh, for this, Jerusalem was packed with people, and they're camped out in lean-tos and makeshift shelters in booths. Uh, The whole city is buzzing with excitement, and of this feast... The rabbis said, he who has not beheld this celebration has never seen joy in his life. So it was a big deal. And that's where Jesus was. The festivities lasted for seven days. 
And one of the most meaningful ceremonies that went on during that period of time was the illumination of the temple. Uh, Picture this. As the first day of the feast would come to a close, it was time to light the giant candlesticks. And and these were four uh, enormous oil lamps. They were covered with gold and 75 feet tall. So picture a huge menorah. It might have been similar to this replica that's in uh, Israel today. Uh, But you realize there are seven lights on each of these candelabras. And so at the end of the feast, uh, at the end of the first day, ladders would be placed up against these candelabras since they're so tall. And young men would climb each ladder carrying a 10 gallon pitcher filled with pure oil. The oil would be poured into the bowl of the candles. Uh, Each candle had a wick, and that wick was made out of worn-out undergarments from the priests. So in other words, the wicks were basically sacred underwear. And and then the, the priests, I imagine, would be the ones who would light the wicks, and the temple would be illuminated. Now, since the temple was on a hill, the blazing candles uh, would cast light over all of Jerusalem. In fact, the light was said to be so brilliant that it illuminated every courtyard in the entire city. Once the candles were lit, the party would really get started. Uh, There was dancing and singing, and orchestra played well into the night. Ancient Jewish writings say that the orchestra included harps, lyres, cymbals, trumpets, and other musical instruments without number. And if that wasn't enough, uh, men of great skill danced with flaming torches. Uh, Rabbi Simeon uh, ben Gamaliel is said to have juggled eight torches at a time. Uh, And and this glorious blaze of fire had a purpose. It, It was celebrating God's work in the past and in the future. So in the past, Israel wandered in the wilderness and God guided them with a pillar of fire at night. And that fire allowed them to travel even in the dark. And it was a visible sign that God himself was with his people at all times. And so this illumination ceremony uh, celebrated this uh, act of, of God's deliverance in the past. And that was a reason to party. But these giant candelabras also were about the future. Uh, it, it was a reminder to Israel that God had promised a great light, Heol Gador, uh, a great light to come. And it was uh, Israel re- reminding them that, that of the prophet Isaiah, who centuries before had said, Isaiah 9-2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And that's what they were looking forward to. And so the temple illumination reminded them of this, and one who would bring light into their sin-darkened world, one who would free them from their bondage and restore their joy and renew the glory of God. And that one they were looking for was the Messiah, God's anointed one. And the rabbis considered that this one would be the true light of God. In fact, one of the names sometimes used for the Messiah by the rabbis was light, light. So that's what they're looking for. And at the end of, uh, so each of these seven days of the feast, uh, here's what would happen. Uh, Late in the afternoon, uh, the ladders were climbed, the the bowls filled with oil, wicks were lit, the band played, singing and dancing lasted till dawn in celebration of God's light in the past and to come. And on the eighth day, it was over. Uh, The light of the candelabras burned out or was extinguished. Uh, People packed up. They would take down their lean-tos and their temporary shelters that they'd been camping in all week. It was time to go home, to return to work, to rest up after the holiday. And on that eighth day, when the feast had just ended, 
That's when Jesus stood in the temple and made this declaration, John 8, 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So do you see how radical it is that Jesus would say that in that place, those words at that time, at that moment? This is a graphic claim of deity, of messiahship. So the light of the massive menorahs was extinguished, but Jesus declares himself to be the light they were looking for, the light of God. So what does this mean? When Jesus says these words, what does it mean that he is the light of the world? Well, let me point out to you five certainties from this, things that we can gather from even just this one verse. Uh, So let me point them out to you. First of all, there is no other light. These are basic, obvious things, but but that's what he's saying. There is no other light. Uh, Two weeks ago, we celebrated the, uh, the the completion of our chapel project and that which went along with it we trust within the next week or uh, shortly thereafter will it will be in full use as it's uh, completely uh, the, the final details are done but one thing uh, was noticed after we uh, finished the, the the renovation walking into the chapel auditorium that the light switches were where they always were which is in the opposite side of the wall across the room And so to get in there, you'd have to stumble along in the darkness, uh, trip over the sound equipment, which is conveniently in the way, and fumble along the wall for the switches to find light in the room. And so recognizing that, that problem was solved a week or so ago by installing a light switch right next to the entry door. And this switch turns on one light right overhead of the doorway. It is the light that you can use to see the other lights in the room. Jesus is not a light to help you find other light. It's not what he is. He doesn't say he's a light. He says he is the light. There's a definite article here. And of this statement, John Calvin writes, outside of Jesus, there is not even a spark of light. The light that Jesus offers is not a world leader. It's not a technology. It's not a philosophy or a pastor or a politician or a president or a nation or a religion or a set of principles or rituals or spiritual insights. It is the person of Jesus, Christ the Lord, God in the flesh. That's the first certainty. Second certainty is that light is offered to all. It's offered to all. Light of the world. The word world here is cosmos. So regardless of culture, regardless of language, ethnicity, gender, age, life circumstance, the light of Jesus is available to all. Jesus is not a provincial redeemer. Uh, His gospel is not limited to one people group. Jesus is the cosmic savior. Now what does that mean? Are then all saved? No, not even the crowd who heard him say these words all saw the light. In fact, there are three different reactions to these words. First, there were those who, verse 13, rejected Jesus. Uh, These were the religious leaders who did not believe. They called Jesus a liar. Second, there were those who wanted more information before they made a decision. They had questions, verses 19, verse 25. Uh, Jesus, you answer this before we're going to commit. The third group are those who accepted Jesus. That's in verse 30. After they heard what Jesus had to say, many came to believe in him. And all these groups are likely represented in this room today. Uh, Jesus, the light of the world, has come, and many of you have believed. Some of you want more information. 
some of you reject it out of hand. The invitation is there. It's real. Your response is crucial. For without the light of Christ, there is only darkness. As Jesus said, unless you believe, you will die in your sins. He's the cosmic Savior. Third, certainty. Those who follow Jesus escape darkness. That's what he says. Now, there are two kinds of darkness from which Jesus rescues us. What, what, what is this darkness he's talking about? And, and I would say it's eternal and it's earthly. Uh, eternal darkness is most crucial. And that is the rescue from the lostness of sin and death. Uh, I would say that from Colossians 1.13. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. So that when you accept the light of Christ... You are reborn. You are rescued from darkness. By your faith and trust in Christ alone as the Savior, you cross over from death to life. You're brought out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of his Son. You're freed from the eternal death penalty of sin, and you become a child of light. That's the first kind of darkness that Jesus brings light to. There's another kind, and that is that for those who have been rescued from eternal darkness, those who put their faith in Christ... Uh, Jesus brings light to our earthly darkness. And for that, just look at uh, Ephesians 5.8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. So for those who have put their faith in Christ, you used to be in darkness, now you're in the kingdom of light, but guess what? You can choose not to live as a child of light. And so the call is for you to live in the light of Christ. That following Jesus is not some casual association that you make one time in the past and never think about it again. It's wholehearted discipleship. To follow Jesus is to walk in the light. And so when I sin, in whatever way I sin, uh, that is a moment I am not walking in the light. And whether it's an irritable reaction or a lustful thought or a dishonest response or a lack of forgiveness, or an intense jealousy, or a critical remark, or a desire for revenge, or self-centeredness, selfishness, greed, pride, Uh, that is a moment I have stepped away from the light of Christ. I've turned instead to the light of the world, the darkness of the world. Uh, McLaren, Alexander McLaren, calls this the daily conflict. Will I follow hard after Jesus today, or will I not? Yes, I'm now a a child of the light. I'm in the kingdom of light. But am I going to follow in that light today or not? Jesus says, follow me and you will escape the darkness of eternity and the darkness of everyday life. Fourth, certainty. That light is real life. There was a pop song in 1977 that every baby boomer in this place will remember. You light up my life. It was performed by Debbie Boone. It was number one for 10 weeks. It was played to death on the radio. It won a Golden Globe, a Grammy, and an Academy Award for Best Original Song. 20 years later, it was covered by Leanne Rimes. A few years after that, Whitney Houston covered it, 2002. And although written as a love song, Debbie Boone said it was God who lit up her life which is hard to fit in with the verse that said, it can't be wrong because it feels so right because you light up my life. We are not singing this in church ever. (laughs) When Jesus says that he gives the light of life, he's not just saying he's going to brighten up your day. 
He's not saying life will be sunnier with Jesus. His promise goes far deeper than that. In fact, there are two definite articles in the phrase, the light of the life. That's what it says, the light of the life. Scholar F.D. Bruner points out that when you have two definite articles like this, that the second has the force of our word real. Real. So in effect, Jesus is saying, whoever follows me has the light of real life. That through Jesus you really come alive. Through Jesus you are finally really able to live. Don't you see how this speaks to our deepest longings? It addresses our deepest desires. That all of us long to live the, the fullest, the most authentic life possible. And Jesus promises that. In fact, he is the only source of this real life. Fifth certainty. That light will not be extinguished. He says, you'll never walk in darkness. Follow me? You'll never walk in darkness. Now, the word translated never is two words in the original language. U-may. It means not ever or in no way, or no more at all. So the blazing candelabra of the temple ceremony burned out. The feast lights were no more. But Jesus, the light of the world, will never be extinguished. Everything in this life will fail you. Think about it. Your technology will become obsolete. Your resources will run out. Your friends will move on. Your education will be outdated. Your clothes will go out of style. Your possessions will end up in a landfill. Your your position will become redundant. Uh, your, Your influence will expire. Your loved ones will die. Your strength will fade. Your health will diminish. Your memory will fail. Your life will end. You're welcome for that encouragement. Only the light of the world remains. His adversaries attempted to put out that light. Evil thought it could douse the flame. The devil tried to lure him into darkness. The the evil one expected that execution would put out the light. But nails could not hold him. The cross could not contain him. Death could not defeat him. And bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. The true light will never be extinguished. And Jesus is our inexhaustible source of hope and salvation. Follow him and you will never walk in darkness. This one verse should transform your life. This one claim of Jesus. Believe who he is. Accept what he offers and everything changes. Now look how the religious elite respond. Verse 13 So the Pharisees said to him, you're testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Now notice they don't address anything Jesus said. They don't mention light. They don't mention dark. Nothing to that. All they say, they grab onto a legal technicality. And that is, you can't be your own witness, Jesus. Whatever you say won't stand up in court. And that was Jewish teaching. The Mishnah said, none may testify of himself. Well, let's see how Jesus responds. Now, I'll just tell you right now, I don't have time to deal with the entire passage that we've laid out here. Uh, I'm going to leave that for you to sort out in your grow groups, and you are very welcome for that. Here we go. Verse 14. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. 
Why is Jesus' testimony valid? Well, just right here, he says because of where he came from and where he's going. And he repeats throughout this passage, he was sent by the Father and he is returning to the Father. As the eternal Son of God, he came from heaven to earth. And after his death, burial, and resurrection, he would leave earth for heaven. And they had no clue about this. Zero understanding. Uh, What they saw was a carpenter from Nazareth. What they saw was a teacher who made outrageous claims. But this was God in the flesh. A number of years ago, I went shopping with my wife. That takes a lot for that to happen. But we were in a store, and I... We parted ways because I was like fi- trying to find something interesting to do. And after a while, it's like, all right, I need to connect back up with Amy, and I can't find her. I'm walking through the store, looking up every aisle. Where is she? And, and a, a nice salesperson came up and said, sir, can I help you find something? And I said, well, thank you, but not unless you know what my wife looks like. And they said, well, I don't. And they left me alone. Now, what, what it, Jesus is saying is, He has information they have no idea of. They have no way of knowing. You can't know. Uh, Jesus is saying, you're unable to answer this question. It's beyond your experience. You don't know where I've come from. You don't know where I'm going to. As Leon Morris says, uh, no human witness can authenticate deity. And because of who Jesus is, no one can on earth can validate who he is. That's why Jesus saying, I am the light of the world, is so incredible. So let me sum it up with these words. Only Jesus can irradiate your darkness because of his origin and his destiny. So because he knows where he came from and where he is going. So only Jesus is the light to your darkness. Ten years ago, a team of British astrophysicists discovered a star that they describe as the brightest ever found in the universe. Uh, It has the highest mass and greatest luminosity of any other known star, still to this day. They temporarily named the star R136A1. And uh, ten years later now, because scientists are so creative, it is now called R136A1. It is 10 million times brighter than our sun. Now, I, I just want you to think about that for a moment. Not just twice as bright. Imagine how overwhelming it would be if our own sun were twice as bright as it is. You think August in Houston is hot now. It's not, the star's not 10 times brighter. That's a light so bright we can't imagine it. It's not a hundred times brighter, a thousand times brighter than our sun. It's not a million times brighter. R136A1 is 10 million times brighter than our sun. Now the Bible says that God created all the stars. He's numbered them and he knows them by name. And I guarantee you that he doesn't call it R136A1. He's got a way better name for it. And God designed each and every star to say, this is a glimpse of my greatness. This just begins to show you some of my radiance. And now you think about the number of stars that are out there. There are hundreds of billions of stars in the galaxy, and and, and any galaxy. And scientists say that there are 100 billion galaxies. So you bear that in mind. How big is God? How awesomely radiant is God. 
What blazing perfection is God's character? His light sears the cosmos and is beyond any human calculation. And that light, that immeasurable light, has come into the world in the person of Jesus the Christ. And because he is God in the flesh, because he took the penalty of my sin by his perfect sacrifice on the cross, because he overcame death and hell by his resurrection, Christ alone can irradiate your darkness. The living Savior expels the eternal darkness of your sin when you put your faith and trust in him alone. And the living Savior expels the gloomy confusion of every day when you walk with him. He is the unextinguishable light of the world. We remember him and celebrate him today around the table. Uh, around this room, in a moment, I will invite you to participate in communion and our pastors and deacons who are serving can take their places now. But at each table is bread and cup. And I invite you in a moment to go to a table near you and if you are your faith is in Christ alone. You take a piece of that bread and dip it into the cup. This bread symbolizing the body of Christ that bore the weight of our sin. The, the cup representing His blood spilled out His life given that we might have life. So as you take that bread and dip it and give thanks, eat, take that in and jest and remember the light of the world that has irradiated your darkness. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for what you have provided for us. That, God, your love was so great that you sent Jesus, the light of the world. Jesus, we thank you for being obedient to the Father, even to the point of death on the cross. And we celebrate what you have done for us in your glorious resurrection and your promised return. Spirit of God, we thank you that you are present with us now, assuring us that the light of God is within us through Christ our Lord. With this simple act, we remember what you have done. We eat and drink in remembrance of you, our perfect holy Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. The table near you.